Do you view yourself as one who has received spiritual gifts from Christ himself by the power of the Holy Spirit to use in building up the kingdom of Christ? Do you recognize that he has uniquely gifted you, not the person next to you, not me only, not Pastor Scott alone or the officers of our church. He has gifted you in some unique way, different than everybody else in this room, with nuance, with personality, with intentionality. He has gifted you to build up the kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. In Exodus chapter 35, beginning at verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and um, and Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with work to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer." The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word, friends, stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Every member of the church, in order and according to the mind of Christ, possesses some place and use in the body which it cannot fill up into the benefit or the ornament of the whole without some spiritual gift. The Puritan John Owen wrote in the 17th century. This is the life of a Christian. As members of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, toward the end of his life, John Owen began to set his sights on what does it mean to equip the next generation to use their gifts. And he wrote about passages like Exodus chapter 31, that everybody has a place in which they are to fulfill their duty to the body, where they are to exercise their spiritual gift. That is the means by which they grow in the likeness of their Savior, the Lord Jesus. And they do that for the sake of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, beloved friends, believe that's true? Do you believe that's true? It is, your, it is your Christian duty to live into that. In fact, that is what it means to live a Christian life. Growing in holiness means that you are learning more about yourself and you are serving the kingdom in the ways that God has uniquely equipped you by the power of his spirit. And as we look at all the gifts that God gives, we oftentimes will hear passages or series or sermon uh, uh, series on New Testament passages like we've looked at, Ephesians chapter 4 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or chapter 14. 
or Romans chapter 12, where it talks explicitly about spiritual gifts. But those are just reflections of a pattern that we see all throughout Scripture, that even from the very beginning, God has called his covenant people to use their spiritual gift. And here, in Exodus chapter 31, we see a man who is using a gift given to him by the Holy Spirit, even before the time of Pentecost, And the Spirit of God wants you, friends, to know today that he has gifted you in a unique way to tell a unique story, just like Moses tells us of the life of this man named Bezalel in Exodus chapter 31. So here here Israel is in the wilderness. They've been delivered from Pharaoh. They've come out of Egypt. And they are wandering to a new place they do not yet know. And at this point in redemptive history, Moses is up on the mount, on Mount Sinai, and we, most of us will remember that there he gets the Ten Commandments and the commands of God, but do you know what else he gets? He gets construction documents of how God wants Moses to build the tabernacle. Chapters 25 through 31 of Exodus are like the construction documents that you see on the back table for our building that we, Lord willing, will be able to build soon. He gives it to them in great detail in those chapters. And at the end of chapter 31, you see him begin to tell us about this man named Bezalel. And there's three things that the Holy Spirit wants you to learn. Number one, that God gifts with many gifts. Secondly, that God gifts to teach others. And thirdly, that God gifts for obedience. He gifts with many gifts. He gifts in order to teach others, and he gifts for obedience. So let's jump into this text and look at it together. First, God gifts with many skills, many gifts. He gifts with many skills. We know, we know about Moses. He was the leader. He was the shepherd. He was the intercessor. He was the judge. We know in Exodus 18 that Moses was the one who played so many important key leadership roles in the life of the covenant people of God. We know from Hebrews 3 where the author of Hebrews compares Moses with Jesus and describes Moses as a servant who was faithful to lead and guide and build up the congregation. And we know, of course, of Aaron, who was the high priest, And we know of his four sons, Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar, who were to help lead in service in the tabernacle once the tabernacle was built. We know that Aaron was called to cleanse the lepers. He was called to help set aside people who were unclean from the people of God in order to obey the Lord's commands. We know about these guys who were like the professional leaders, like the clergy, as it were. But is that the only way God equips people? Well, of course not. In fact, who in the Bible is said to be the first person filled with the Holy Spirit? Was it Moses, the great leader? Was it Aaron, the great priest? No. The first person in Scripture who is said to be filled with the Spirit, that phrase, is given to a man named Bezalel, a craftsman. And here we see how he was gifted. Was he a priest? Was he a prophet? Was he a king? What would the Lord give his Holy Spirit, fill him with the Holy Spirit? 
Yes, temporarily. Yes, put it upon him for the building of the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit possesses us permanently after Pentecost. But here he is, filled with the Holy Spirit. What was he to do? This great mighty king, this great mighty priest, this great mighty prophet? No, he was somebody who, what does the text say? He would build the tabernacle to devise artistic designs, verse 4, to work in gold or silver or bronze and cutting stones for setting and carving wood and to work every craft. So God doesn't just design or just call people to lead, to serve in the tabernacle. He also guides and leads and calls people to serve in building the tabernacle, building up, literally, the house of God. And notice here that just as God called Moses and Aaron, God calls Bezalel by name. I have called Bezalel. To be called in Hebrew is a very, very powerful experience. It was a very personal thing. God called Noah to build the ark. He called Moses and Aaron in their tasks. He called Samuel to be a prophet, just like Jeremiah he called in Amos. He called others like Abraham and Sarah to relocate. He called Joseph and Gideon and David and David's descendants to political leadership. He called the apostles and he called Barnabas and Saul to be missionaries. The Holy Spirit calls his people. He calls them by name. He calls them with a voice that is irresistible. It's like hearing the sound, children. It's like hearing the sound of your mom and dad cut through the crowd. And you hear the tenor and you hear their voice and you know exactly who it is. And they call you. And to hear the Lord call his people is like a father calling his children by name. Now I know that the idea of having a father call you by name for many of us is a sweet and precious thing. But I also know this for some of you, to hear your father's voice call you, call you makes you feel of, of the betrayal, reminds you of the hurt that perhaps has existed in your relationship with your own dad. But in the Old Testament, when the father would call you by name, it is the Father calling you as a loving Father who loves you and cares for you and is the best that maybe your dad didn't have to offer. This Lord is good, and he loves you. And he calls him Bezalel, which in Hebrew means in the shadow of God's presence. In the shadow of God, Bezalel is called. And it's a wonderful picture of the tabernacle and of God himself. It reminds us of Psalm 91 that we sang about earlier. He covers us under his wings and he shadows us by his care. Notice that Bezalel is from the tribe of Judah. He's not from the tribe of Levi. And he has a servant, Aholiab, who is a Danite. He's from the tribe of Dan. Aholiab's name means in the tent of my father. So here you have in the shadow of God and in the tent of my father, these two men working together to build the house of God. It's a beautiful play on words in Hebrew. And when we think about the tabernacle, which was the, the temporary structure that God built, not unlike us gathering together, quite frankly, every week as we set up for worship. It was a tabernacle that traveled with the people throughout the wilderness. And children, when we think about the tabernacle, you tend to think about Moses and you tend to think about Aaron. But kids, I want you to remember the name Bezalel. Can you say that name with me? 
Bezalel, and his servant Aholiab, who were gifted by the Holy Spirit in very diverse ways, because God gives us many gifts. And he hasn't just gifted your mom and dad. He's also gifted you, even the littlest among us. He has given gifts to build up the body of Christ. So first, God gives gifts with many skills. Secondly, God gifts to teach others. Not only do we read that God calls others to to be involved, but he calls us to teach others in our calling. In chapter 35, verse 4, it says, And he, that is God, inspired him, Bezalel, to teach. When Moses was on Sinai and he received the, the details of how God wanted the tabernacle constructed, it, was, it had to have been overwhelming. And here he says, I have called Bezalel, Moses, to lead you in constructing those, doc, those, those, those plans according to all that I have commanded you. And Bezalel knew, knew that he would have to teach others if this was going to get done because there was a lot of work to do. And so it says that the Lord also equipped many other men whom Bezalel and Aholiab then taught and employed in the service of building up the kingdom. He says in chapter 31, verses 6 through 11, if you have your Bibles, if you continue to read the first passage that that we read, we stopped at verse 5, but if you continue, it says, And he has given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and the furnishings for the tent and on and so on and so forth. It goes that men were gifted to take different aspects of the tabernacle on. And it wasn't just Bezalel who was to do it by himself, but he was to teach other men and delegate to them how they were to accomplish the building of the tabernacle in obedience to God. And one thing that's really interesting for those of you who have eyes to see the text is as you read these chapters, you begin to see that at the heading of every chapter, the way that it's divided in Hebrew, right? The way that the early scholars had divided it by chapter division. They divided it where it uses Bezalel's name. Chapters 36, Bezalel. Chapter 37, Bezalel. Chapter 38, it's all about Bezalel. And then as you begin to read, it begins slowly. To, he did this. Bezalel did this. He did that. He built the temple. He shaped the altar. He made the incense. He pretty much did it all. And then you start to see a pattern where it was like, he did this, and they did that. He did this, and they did that. He did this, and they did that. And so by the time you get to chapter 38, in verse 22, it says, and he also made... And then they made, and then in chapter 39, there's no more he. It's all they. And so by chapter 39, there is no more focus on Bezalel. It's all they. And in fact, in chapters 39, when when Moses celebrates the building of the tabernacle, Moses just says they did it. Moses just wrote this book and he said, Bezalel, Bezalel, Bezalel. But as Bezalel delegated and taught other men, he fades into the background. That's good leadership. And so when Moses celebrates, 100% of the credit goes to the group. And that's the way the Holy Spirit works. 
And as you use your gift, he calls you not only to employ that gift, to use it, whatever your gift is, whether it's generosity or it's hospitality or it's service or it's whatever it may be. He wants you to be able to teach others and encourage them in their gift too because they need to be encouraged in their gift. The reason you can use your gift is because you were encouraged to use yours by someone. And you also are to do that for others. And as I think about this church, I mean, one day there will not be a mention of Amanda and Nathan Weber or of Missy and Will Parker or of Christy and Harlan Van Wy or Katie and Dustin Dye or Stephanie and Bill Ford or Brenda and Jason and Kathy Sheffield who prayed for months before we even existed that there would be a church plant in this city. Or Greg Roberts who executes set up every week in guiding the men to drive the trucks and get things here, or Blaine Prine, who takes care of Trinity House, or Harrison Helmrich, who makes sure that we stay safe in worship and who drove the truck here this morning, or Steve Garrison, who takes care of Trinity's land, or Scott Mitchell, who preaches and disciples and leads our community groups, or Jeremy Johnson, who helps with sound, or Dustin Dye, who uploads the sermons to the website every week, or Will, Nathan, and Paul, who lead us as ruling elders and have gotten into the mess of so many of our lives and seeing marriages that were totally on the brink of divorce. And the Holy Spirit has used them to bring them back. It's amazing the way the Lord has used people in this church. Or Justin Allison and Brad Rutman and John Nowakowski and Steve Garrison who, who drive the trailer here every week. Or, or T.J. Warren who has led our music for eight years, week after week. So faithful has he been. It's amazing. Or Katie and James Kyle Barth, or Katie Roberts, or Haley and Chris Shaw, who lead our missions team. Or Stacy Baker, who sends flowers that many of you have received. Or Marshall Walker, our bereavement coordinator, who walks alongside you with me as some of you go through the most profound grief in your time of loss that you've ever experienced. Or Emily and Tanner Tabor, who are learning, learning from Adrian Nowakowski how to take on hospitality responsibilities. Or, or Beth Sullivan, who helps in the women's ministry. Or, or um, Chris and Kyle Kajo, as they encourage so many of us. Or Hannah and Brennan, as they prepare for their wedding and they use their gifts now to learn what it means as a young couple to be employed in Christ's service. I mean, guys, this is the church. And I could go down the row. This is the beauty of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. One generation now, people will not know your name and they will not know mine. But the gifts the Father has given to build up the body of Christ will sustain the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Glenn Holland was a gifted musician. He had a insatiable passion for the notes and the beats and the rhythms and the sounds. And night after night, he worked on a symphony he called the American Symphony. He had a dream that one day he would be able to lead and he got married to Iris and, and to make ends meet, to provide for his family. He took a job teaching music at, at John F. Kennedy High School in Portland, Oregon. And they had a son named, named Cole who, who was deaf. And so Glenn Holland stuck with this job because he needed the steady income. And one day he's teaching his 
orchestra, and there is a shy, redheaded girl named Gertrude Lang who's like awkward, and she has no confidence, and she can't play the clarinet worth a hoot. And so he takes her under his wing, and he meets with her week after week, and she becomes a more confident clarinet player. And class by class, a whole generation of students, Glenn Holland influences at John F. Kennedy High School in in Portland, Oregon. All while fighting budget constraints, all while trying to preserve the music department in a world where everything seems to be getting cut in the public school system of Oregon at the time. And 30 years after he started that job, still dreaming of the symphony, he never got to really conduct. He's forced into early retirement because they finally did cut the drama and the music departments at his school. And so the day that he and his wife and his son are cleaning up the music room, they're walking back to the car and Glenn Holland hears noise coming out of the auditorium and he walks into the auditorium and he sees the auditorium filled with students of his from 30 years of teaching. And he's in shock. And he walks down the aisle in this auditorium and his wife goes to the podium and thanks people for being there and says, friends, our our master of ceremonies has been detained and she'll be here momentarily and opens the doors and who walks in but Gertrude Lang, the shy little red-headed girl that he taught so many years ago how to play the clarinet and she's the governor. And she walks down the aisle And she takes the podium with all of her staff milling about. And she says, Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life and on a lot of lives I know. But I have a feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it that he was always working on this symphony of his. And this was going to make him famous and rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich. And he isn't famous, at least not outside our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure, but he would be wrong. Because I think that he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. Look around. There's not a life in this room that you have not touched, and each of us is a person better because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. We are the music of your life. And so we want to give something back to you. Would you please come and take this wand, and would you please lead us in the first rendition ever of the American Symphony by Glenn Holland. And, of course, Mr. Holland walks up then to lead A symphony comprised of his students from the class of 1965 to the class of 1995 and this beautiful dream of his he's had for years. Friends, that is a picture of heaven. It's a picture of heaven where you have used your gift in ways you may not have expected. Where you have person by person, Sunday by Sunday, shaped and crafted and molded lives through your gift. And you may think your life misspent But one day your Savior is going to hand you a wand in glory, perhaps. We can only imagine. And he's going to say, these are the lives of the people you've touched. Do you see them? 
play your opus, play your symphony. Listen, we are not teaching music to high school students, but you are given gifts to build up the body of Christ. And some of you find yourself in this stage of life wondering where it all went. This is not the life you anticipated. You, You did not expect yourself to be here when you were 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, but here you are. And I don't know what your legacy is going to be. And you might think yourself a failure. But the Lord Jesus has given you gifts and he has said, I want you to fly. Use those gifts. Would you do it? Please. You may be the shy, unconfident Gertrude Lang, but hear your Holy Spirit take you under his wing and say, I want to meet with you every week to shape and mold you called Christian worship. And I want you to be able to use the gifts and the friends that you have in this church to go deeper, to not just come and drive by church, but to dwell with them, to know them. And I don't know what the Lord's gonna do with you. I don't, but isn't it amazing to dream and think? Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation today has helped nearly two million students. It's based on a true story, of course. The movie is about the real Glenn Holland who died in 2002 and his foundation continues. He's helped over 1,600 schools with over 34,000 instruments as they have helped sustain music departments around America. And knowing that God gifts, as this passage has said, I have given, I have been gifted, what should our response be? Knowing God gives gifts to you, our response should, first of all, be to be humbled. They are his gifts, after all, that he has given to you. He is the one who gives them, and he is the one who places you where you can use them in a way that he determines wherever he pleases. John Owen says that the Holy Spirit taketh no delight to impart his special gifts unto the proud or the self-conceited, to men vainly puffed up in their own fleshly mind. How can we use the gifts of God if we're vainly puffed up in our own fleshly mind? And knowing God gives gifts, we have to pray with desire. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to make us aware of the gifts that he's given. Paul teaches us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Or earlier in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you still a more excellent way. We have to ask the author of those gifts to make us aware of what those gifts are. We must in humility pray and desire those gifts in ways that the Lord commands. But this passage also also tells us something else that's interesting. Sometimes we make the process too hard because we need to be aware that our natural gifts, our natural abilities, our natural desire, often the way the Lord launches our spiritual gifts. To those whom the Lord gives skill, intelligence, and ability, they were already craftsmen in this passage. He took capable men with ability and he gave them to Bezalel to teach. And these men knew how to hewn stone. They knew how to build with wood. They knew how to weave fine linen. And John Owen says that from our natural ability, 
Our spiritual gifts spring, much like Perseverance launched out of the NASA space station in Florida last summer for Mars. So also our spiritual gifts launch out of our natural abilities and our natural friendships. I mean, some of you are a good listener, for example. And God can use you for gifts of compassion and for reconciliation. Some of you are, have amazing compassion. And God uses you for intercession and for prayer and for counseling in the lives of others. God has gifted some of you with amazing ability to be generous. And he wants you to use that gift of generosity for the edification of his church. Some of you are extroverted. You could talk to all of us in the wall and not feel like you've talked to enough people. God can use you for hospitality and to make people feel welcome and encouraged and glad to be here. We've seen that God gifts with many skills and God gifts us to teach others. And lastly, God gifts us for obedience. Chapters 35 through 39 are almost an exact repeat of chapters 25 through 31. And some commentators think that there is just a simple reduplication, but they miss the point that Moses is trying to communicate when they make such statements because the point Moses is making is that the people of God obeyed. Bezalel and the craftsmen carry out the instructions that the Lord commands. Exodus 36 says, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in the Lord constructed the work of the sanctuary. They shall do it in accordance with all that God has commanded. In chapters 31, verse 1, it says, according to all that I have commanded, so they will do. God delivered the people of God from Pharaoh in Egypt. He put them in the wilderness for what? To serve. What did Moses, what did God through Moses tell Pharaoh? Let my people go. Why? So that they can be free? So they can live their lives without the tyranny? No, that, so that they can serve me. And the call of a holy God to his people, he's called the holiness, means that you are to obey him and what he has called you to do. It is part of our responsibility as Christians. And some of you are thinking, okay, great, thanks, pastor. The, the Bible tells me all kinds of things I should obey. It gives me a whole book of things I should obey in the Old Testament. It says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, for crying out loud, you have a confession of sin because we can't obey him. And when you believe that and see that, you're beginning to get the gospel. Because the gospel is that the Lord has given us another craftsman, hasn't he? A tecton. We translate it often as carpenter, but it meant even a more diverse skill set than just with wood. And this carpenter came to us. And he didn't just build a tabernacle. John says that he came to dwell among us. He tabernacled among us. He is the tabernacle. And Jesus, the master craftsman, came to fulfill everything in the Old Testament that we could not do. Which teaches us that God always supplies what he commands. In the Old Testament, he supplied the craftsmen to build the tabernacle. He supplied Christ to be your righteousness because you would not be able to live up to it. Of course not. And when you begin to see it, you're beginning to get it. The shoe is dropping. And you see that Christ is the one in whom we find our righteousness by trust in what he has done on, his, on the work on the cross. The true craftsman came 
the greater Bezalel came, not so that he could construct the temple, but so that the temple could come down upon himself. So that he would die on the cross for us, and three days later he would rise again. So that we could therefore walk in obedience to what he has called us to do, not to earn his favor, but because we have his favor. Amen? This is the calling that the Lord Our Holy Father demands perfect obedience. But as God's covenant people, we follow in the lineage of Bezalel, in the greater Bezalel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not just disappear into the background merely by teaching his disciples, but he died for them and rose again. And in light of what Christ has done for us, he gifts his body with many skills. And he gifts us to teach others. And he gifts us for obedience, to build his kingdom, to build a house for God. Angela Duckworth in her book Grit tells a story where there's three uh, bricklayers and and the first bricklayer um, is asked, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm laying bricks. And the second bricklayer is asked, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm, I'm building a church. And the third bricklayer is asked, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a house for God. And Angela Duckworth says, the first one had a job. The second one had a, call, a, a career. And the third one had a calling. What are you doing with your gifts? Be implored by the Holy Spirit to use them. He has gifted you in diverse ways. He has gifted you to teach. He has gifted you to walk in obedience. All because of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplishing for us what we cannot do to help you launch into using your spiritual gifts from the platform of your natural abilities by prayer and with humility.